Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello and welcome back to Fighting on Film. This week we have another film chosen by our supporting cast over on Patreon. And we've had a, a couple of new people join the cast recently. Casper, Neil, Dag and Daniel, thank you for your support over there. And if you'd like to support the show, help us keep the mics on, allow us to stream obscure war movies for us to talk about, then mm. please do consider supporting us over there. Um, we very much appreciate it. And every month we allow our patrons, the supporting cast, to choose uh, one of the films uh, that we're going to cover, and we give a choice of four or five. And this week, they have chosen Pork Chop Hill. Yeah, it was a landslide vote, wasn't it? 83% something? Yeah, yeah, that is probably the highest we've ever had on a, <laughs> it is, um, yeah. on a Patreon vote. Um, so we were pleased about that because we both like this movie. Um, so mm. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Um, I'll, I suppose I'll begin with a little bit of cast and production, and then you sure can run through cast. Why not? Oh, and if you want to watch this one, guys, it's on YouTube to rent. And I think Amazon Prime, you can rent it because we had to rent it for this. No one's streaming it in the UK, at least. Maybe in the US. I thought I had it on DVD, but I don't. I thought I did as well. And then I went through mm. and I was like, where's Gregory Peck's face? So this film was directed by Lewis Milestone, uh, two-time Oscar winner. Probably uh, best known within the war genre for the incredible all Quiet on the Western Front, the original 1930 adaptation. Mm. Um, and of course, that's currently being, well, it's about to, uh, to yeah. uh, be streaming on Netflix, uh, the, the newest version. If, if it's anything like the trailer, I mean, I hope it's going to be an absolute powerhouse. It's got Oscar written on it, isn't it? That's what I'm thinking. It, it looks incredible. Best visual the, effects Oscar is nailed on. <laughs> yeah, from the one minute 30 we got in the teaser. Yeah. Uh, it looked really good. It's in French milestone. flame throwers. Just had to give it to it. I, that's a lot of flamethrowers. But uh, Milestone um, directed uh, Edge of Darkness in 43, uh, The North Star with Errol Flynn in 43 as well, The Purple Heart in 45, A Walk in the Sun in 1951, uh, Halls of Montezuma with Richard Widmark in 1951, and then um, Mutiny on the Bounty as well. Marlon Brando, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he had a, a heck of a career. You can see, you can see little bits of that. Definitely in this, all quite on the Western Front in the the way that this film is put together and shot, and it it's it's definitely there. For a late fifties, it don't pull its punches. I've got to admit. No, no, it's 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 definitely a combat film. War is hell, everyone. <laughs> Literally mm. uh, produced by um, Cy Bartlett, who was a screenwriter and producer, uh, but he he wasn't. The... Some sources say he was a screenwriter on this, so he may have had some input, but. Um, 
James R. Webb is listed as the writer of the screenplay. We'll talk more about mm-hmm. that in a moment. But Bartlett is probably best known for uh, work on The Red Beret, 12 O'Clock High, um, The Last Command, which is an Alamo film, uh, The Outsider, Cape Fear, um, not a war movie, but we both love Cape Fear, um, A Gathering of Eagles, uh, In Enemy Country, and uh, I think his last film he worked on was the um, the biopic for Che Guevara. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and as I mentioned, this was actually co-produced between Bartlett and Peck. So mm. Peck was also an executive producer on this one. I mentioned that uh, James R. Webb was the uh, the screenplay uh, writer for this one. And he was a staff officer during the war, so he had military experience uh, and a long uh, screenwriting career. Prominently, he wrote the screenplay for uh, Cape Fear with Bartlett producing and also he wrote the the screenplay for How the West Was Won which he won an Oscar for in um, 62 nice so already you can see that this film has got pedigree when it comes to yeah it has yeah production um it's based on a book written by uh, Brigadier General SLA Marshall who was a World War One veteran and during World War Two and Korea he was a combat historian so he'd go out and, and interview um troops in the field and get after action reports wow just after they've been out in action um on operations and at the beginning of the film it actually says in most cases even the names of the people have not been changed so yep. in the little preamble it explains that marshall wrote this and that it's based on his book um i should say and a lot of the people in the film are representations of actual people that were mm. taking part in the battle um, and the book that, that Marshall wrote was called Porkchop Hill, The American Fighting Man in Action. And yeah. I think throughout you get little tastes of that because there's certain attention to detail in places where it's like, that's from something. And you've mm. you've spoken to someone who did that or you've that. seen that happen. Yeah. Because there's yeah, little things in that, that, you, that mm. normal screen screenwriters that haven't been in combat wouldn't know about, wouldn't even consider. You know, yeah. trying to throw a grenade into a pillbox and it bounces off. Things, yeah, things like that. You don't, yeah. you don't, you don't get a lot of that in film unless no. it's a trope sort of way. No, it's not everything kind of about way. this is is clean cut. Like mm. It doesn't. It's not studio bound. Obviously, it's filmed in open no. air, but it's not a studio. Doesn't feel like a studio picture at times. No, no, I agree. I agree. Cinematography uh, was from Sam Liebitt, um, another Oscar winner. So again, pedigree. Um, China Venture in 1953, Mission Over Korea, 53, The Court Martial of Billy Mitchell in 55, and Major Dundee in 1965, which is uh, a really interesting like Western movie um, with uh, Richard Harris. Ooh, yes. Yeah, you'd like it. It's actually really good. Um, music was by Leonard uh, Rosenman. Uh, who did the music for Lafayette Esquadrille, uh, The Outsider, Hell is for Heroes, and some of the combat TV show as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. What a pleasure that is of mine. I do like that show. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's, um, like, it's good in a 60s way. It is, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit of a cult classic, for mm. this genre at least, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, filmed largely in San Fernando Valley, California, uh, with a lot of other shots being done in parts of Arizona, apparently. That rounds it out for production. It's also, I know that it had uh, help from the Defence Department, because it says on the yep. opening scroll. US Army, thank you to them as well. Because obviously some Korean war films didn't get it. I'm looking at you. No, they didn't. Um, men in war. Men in war. <laughs> men in war. Before we go into cast, uh, I found a retro review from the Daily Mirror. Old Double Dick's back again. Dick Richards, if you remember that, from a few months ago. <laughs> of course, yeah. There was so much editing had to be done when I said that. I think we laughed for a good 10 minutes. Um, anyway, so this is from Friday, the 22nd of May, 1959. Gregory Peck is another actor in his roaring 40s who can give most newcomers a head start in the acting stakes. His latest is Porkchop Hill. And again, this is no place for a giggle. Directed by Lewis, all quiet on the Western Front milestone, it's a real-life slice of Korean warfare. No gals, no gaiety, just grimness. Peck gives a quiet, intensely human performance, while Harry Godino, a coward who finds himself, and George Shiabata, Peck's right-hand man, are outstanding in an all-male cast. Maybe you're tired of war films, 
but pork chop hill is a somber gripping and impressive sample pretty much spot on i agree with dick there dick's on yeah. the money he always is i mean i think most reviews he does actually in that era are pretty spot on from what we've had on mm. the show i always look for him if i if i can find his name i'm like yeah. yes it's gonna be a good review very fair review keeping an eye out for dick oh yeah <laughs> Well, that make the edit, folks. Who knows? Right. So we'll we see. have your one, one more reviews. So again. childish. So childish. Yeah. So one more reviews again this uh, this week, folks. And we had another bumper crop. So thanks for that. Uh, Kevin Getz goes with dirty. Call sign Angus. Angus McChilly. He goes with rugged. Rob Nichols said, "I thought it was funny." He's like, "Sorry, but at first I thought, but at first I thought you typed pork chop sandwiches." Uh, Russell Burgess goes with rugged. Paul Woodage, uh, World War Two TV goes with gritty and i think we had people that were just taking the mickey so we had a few people that were like meaty with a few people that were <laughs> a1 i think someone said because a1 sauce in america that was quite funny um, <laughs> and then tall bloke went with crackling which i quite like a lot oh, of pork puns this week a lot of pork references yeah little pork references yeah we'll end on uh, mr c 1966 and he says classic yeah some great one yeah, I, I, week, guys. That carries it really because it I think it is a classic and it is very gritty, it's very dirty. Yeah. It's it's no it's, frills, um, is it? That's that's mm, what it is. It really is mm. no frills. Um so yeah, I think we should shuffle on into cast. So we've got Gregory Peck um as Lieutenant Joe Clemens. Obviously, you know, you don't really need me to tell you all about Gregory Peck. He's a legend of the silver screen, his war film work, Captain Horatio Hornblower. We covered that a few weeks ago. Please go and check that one out. Uh, we had 12 O'Clock High with him in. We've not done that one yet, but it's a classic. Uh, Guns and Averone, The Sea Wolves, as well as, you know, other films that aren't war movies, Cape Fear, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. It's just one of the legends of that era, isn't he? You know, you know what you're getting with him. Very, like, you know, prolific man. Uh, then we had uh, Woody Strode. He plays Private Franklin. He's a pioneering NFL footballer who came to prominence... Um, in the like he's one of the first really famous black american footballers after the second world war in america yeah and, and he, yeah an actor oh yeah definitely pioneering actor as well so he he then turned his hand to acting after uh, being a football player and he did a lot of westerns um so he's in the mm. man who shot liberty valance he appears in the professionals which is a really sort of you know career defining role for him um, and then he's Great in movie. John Ford's Sergeant Rutledge in 1960, plays the lead in that one, because him and John oh, Ford he's, become... he's fantastic in Sergeant Rutledge. Yeah. Is he good in that? I've not seen that one yeah, myself. Yeah, it's I'm, worth a watch. I'm not really a Western guy, really. Um, yeah, but that's I, fair. I, I, I yeah. do enjoy a good Western, and that's yeah. a great movie. I like The Magnificent Seven. I like that one. That's mm. all right. Um, I've got a bit of trivia for that later. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, because uh, yeah, him and... Because uh, Strode and John Ford became friends while he was making this movie. So I don't know if somewhere down the line, John Ford turned up on set to smoke Might a cigar and have a look around, yeah. um, perhaps. Uh, but he actually wins a Golden Globe for his work in uh, Spartacus in the same year, 1960. Right. He did Rutledge. So, you know, proper legend. Uh, then we had Rip Torn, another legend of the silver screen there it was lieutenant very Russell. early career ripped on yeah very early you hardly recognize him if i'm honest that's the problem with a lot of these roles in this movie they are so new into the game that they haven't established their even their faces aren't established in my memory as young people um no it's true kind of, yeah like george evident. peppard i yeah, do not think exactly. of young george peppard no i, mean, I don't think you've got operation crossbow <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, exactly. It's it's eighteen. <laughs> just think it? of eighteen. Yeah. I can't help it. But going back to Rip Torn, he wins an Academy Award. He's an Academy Award nominee for Cross Creek in nineteen eighty three. In terms of war films, he was in Beach Red in nineteen sixty seven. I do Beach Red. It's quite an interesting. Mm. One. And then he yeah. was Artie on the Larry Saunders Show in the nineties, and um, that was a, one of his bigger roles. Uh, and then we have uh, George Papard as Corporal Federson. And obviously you'll know him from, he was, his landmark role was, uh, one of his landmark roles, sorry, was uh, in Breakfast at Tiffany's in 1961. Then he'd go yep. on to be immortalised in the A-Team as Hannibal. Uh, but he also worked on quite a few war films in the 60s. He was in The Victors, The Blue Max, Tobruk and Operation Crossbow. Yeah, yeah. 
but the thing is though about Papa, I don't know about you, Matt, but whenever he pops up in something that isn't the 80, I'm like, oh, it's George Papa. I didn't know he did other things. <laughs> like it's one of them kind of actors. I know, I know what you mean there. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had uh, George Shibata, uh, who plays Lieutenant at uh, Oashi, and he was a paratrooper, and he were he did some uh, like peacekeeping work in Berlin in Germany after the war. Oh wow! Okay. And then he was a West Point graduate as well, and he turned actor. And this is the film he got a big break in. Um, he was mm. pers- personally brought in by the real Joe Clemens to play a character um, who his character is based on, who's a real chap. Um, real yeah. sergeant and peck said this about his casting this bit of casting was unorthodox even for hollywood we were having great difficulty getting the right person for the part it called for someone with a certain youthful toughness and a military aura happy for us technical advisor captain joe clemens discovered his former west point classmate while attending the usc law school wow interesting yeah and then he has a couple of roles um after He's in Hell to Eternity, which is a Second World War picture. Yes. Um, in 1960. Yes, yeah. And then he was in The Wackiest Ship in the Army. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then he has a couple other roles. He does some television work. He's in one, the, one of the episodes of The Hardy Boys. Uh, and then he goes on to become a lawyer. Oh, there you go. But he's fabulous in this. If he hadn't he told is, me marvellous. Yeah. that this was his first acting gig, never have known. There are no there are no bad performances in this film. There are no bad performances in this film. Yeah. No, there's not. As as Matt said to me when we were planning this episode, he's like, it's all it's all meat, it's no fat in this film. Yeah, it's all pork. It's all pork. <laughs> <laughs> so then we're just gonna go through some of the cast quickly because there's just a lot of people in this. So you've got Norman Fell as Sergeant Coleman, you've got Cliff Ketchum as Corporal Payne, Robert Blake as Private Belly, Bob Steele plays Colonel Kern. Um, you have William Wellman's son is in it. <laughs> he really? plays a character called Iron Man. Yeah, couldn't find okay. him in it. So I'm not sure if they say Weird. his name out loud. Um, but yeah, he's in it. And then you have a very, very young Harry Dean Stanton as a BAR gunner. And this is the first on screen, or this is the first movie credit for Martin Landau as well. Oh, okay. Of Mission Impossible fame. I think he is the, the officer that leads up whatever's left of Love Company. Yeah, uh, Lieutenant Marshall. And equally as well, it's one of those classic battle films where after a while, everyone's just doing everything. And it's sort of hard to work out who people are. Apart from, because it's the things, Peck's Peck. Because he's Gregory Peck in a World War II, sorry, in a, he's Gregory Peck in a Korean War uniform. So it's like, I know who that is. But then random <laughs> GI number five could be Martin Clunes for all I care. And I wouldn't be able to tell you halfway through this movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I do. I get a bit um I get a bit M1 helmet drunk, I think. After a while. <laughs> but uh, the yeah. cast is great in this. There's, as you say, there's no there's no bad performances. No one gets a short end of the stick. They all get their moments. You know, and a lot of them meet a grisly end as well, which is another thing yeah. I wasn't expecting. So, I mean, should we talk about the plot a little bit? Yeah, so it's focused around the second battle of Porkchop Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, 1953. 7th Infantry Division, I think, uh, if I remember rightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're tasked with retaking the hill. And it's around the time of the, uh, the UN uh, mission to negotiate with the Chinese and North Koreans to bring about a ceasefire. Um, that's all going on at that time, and the, the hill is explained to be a bit of a, uh, a pawn in this. It's a um, a focal point for a back and forth, mm. and the Chinese are trying to find out whether the Americans are willing to spend, you know, human lives to mm. hold a relatively worthless point yes. in what's going to be a demilitarized area. Um, there are quite a few battles like that towards the end of the war, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it, this is a pretty solid representation of that kind of warfare it looks yeah. it looks great and that it feels it's the korean was very first world war in places isn't it you know fighting over big swathes of land trench encamped warfare things like that it does it, it lends itself in the mind anyway to to the first world war mm. yeah i can see what you're saying mm. because especially when you see like videos of especially uh, british positions where they've got a setup on the top of a hill with a machine gun artillery and mortars and they just pummel the other side of the hill until it's time for a patrol to go up there um you know and then you you think about the engine battle and that is a a lot of wave attacks against 
um, troops who have dug in or, or who have set up defensive perimeters until they have to scarper away. Um, but I think, you know, in my mind, I always think it's, it's a little bit like that. Well, you've done uh, quite a few videos on the Korean War, haven't you, as well, and Imjin and, and around that period. So I did some stuff on the Belgians, but you could do this like Turkish troops in there. You know, it's it's the one big scrap the UN yeah. got involved yeah. in. And everyone <laughs> had a little bit of, to do in there. Um, so it's a very interesting war if you're not clued up on it. And there's some, oh, there are a lot of films about the Korean War. There are a lot of American ones and not a lot of British ones. Yeah. But when you just peel back the surface a little bit, there is a lot more on the Korean War than we give it credit for. Because this whole myth of it being, it's the forgotten war, it, I think it overtakes it a little bit and then people do forget. Yeah, I, th- I think perhaps... You throw enough at a wall, it'll sun will stick. I think perhaps it's forgotten and then people don't feel the need to go and find anything else about it. It's almost like the Korean War, what is most known about the Korean War is that it was forgotten. Yeah, it does feel that way. In the public consciousness. Anyway. Yeah, anyway, we get back onto the film. <laughs> <laughs> I know before we go into a, a very deep discussion about the public consciousness around the, the, war, the war in Korea. Um, should we move on to the alley tally? I think we should. Some really interesting stuff in this. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. Go on, Matt, kick us off. Did you spot the Lewis gun? Of course I did. It's mocked up to look like a DP-27. Of course I did, because, and I was going to mention this at the end of my little bit, but that DP-28 is mocked up on a, a Lewis gun, as you said. It's got like a air-cooled shroud on it. I'm convinced. Yeah, they've taken they've taken the like the barrel, the jacket off, and and it's got like a little craft made jacket, or perforated, and a little conical flash hider, which doesn't look like a mm. DP 28s flash hider, but it's and they've built the magazine. See up what a they're going bit. for? Have you noticed the magazine is built up a little bit. Oh really? Okay. It's feel, it looks like they've sort of done something to the magazine, which is weird because the the DP DP 28s pan mag is very thin. Very thin. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I'm convinced, and I might be. This might be my brain doing me a disservice but i'm convinced i've seen that exact weapon in jump into hell and i'm convinced that it's also in a vietnam movie that i now can't remember the name of um is it war bus oh, not war bus no it's a 50 it's a 50s one um uh, one of the indochina ones one of the really mm. early ones and um, i've talked about on the show but i'm swear i've seen this gun before right so i'm gonna go mm. off and do some research because i think it might be a case of it's like that mp40 that was made out of a rising that we talked about way back on go for broke and that Mm -hmm. has an mgm film so i'm like no this isn't mgm but i'm thinking are they sharing weapons probable because i'm i'm convinced we've seen this gun a lot of times and i think it might Mm. be even being a man men in war so for me it's like the case of the mocked up 28 (laughs) yeah I'm convinced well, I've seen it, looks... it before because there's, there's only there's, how many times you're going to mock up a Lewis gun. You're not going to butcher a Lewis gun every time you make a Korean war flick, are you? No, no, exactly. I mean, to be fair, all they've got to do is is like press fit that conical flash hider and, and slide over True. that little yeah um, F rated barrel jacket that's supposed to look like a DP twenty eight. But it's it has that that little focal point where the the mm. young man tries to knock it out with a grenade and, and yeah, stuff and that's great i love that scene actually but the grenade um, bounces off and yeah he then has to do it again yeah, yeah it's good um there's, there's so much to talk about in this film to be honest because you've got the whole glut of period american um kit you've got the the um the flak vests that they're wearing and there's a lovely little line one of the guys says as they're advancing up the hill he's like do we have to wear these bulletproof corsets? And the, his <laughs> oppo replies to him, "Brother, you'll learn to love it." And yeah. I, I, I really like those little interactions of where they talk about kit and stuff because there's a mm. couple like that throughout the film. Um, but on top of that, you've got um, M2 carbines, uh, M1s with gr- the grenade launcher attachment, attachments, nice. the spigots they pop on the end. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of M1919 Browning action, which is always great to see. There's a um, M2 th- flamethrowers are used a couple of times, and the Chinese, Chinese. have one as well. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's the BARs in the film appear to be um, M1918A1s rather than 
A2s. They're the first iteration because they've got the slightly rounded, checkered um, uh, forend, the, the, the hangar. Oh, okay. Um, but they are they are mounted with bipods like an A2 mm. would be, um, right. which is interesting. Yeah, um, I like it. I mean, I think there's nothing in there that's bad for me. It's one of the rare no. sort of movies where they get everything right and then the movie's actually good as well. It's not like Wind Talkers last week where you've put in all this effort and it's all for mm, it, This true. one, it all comes together really nicely. And it's, you know, I like the fact they've got the M52 flat jackets in there and everyone's got one because by that time in the war, they were issuing them en masse in 53. Mm-hmm. So they had a bit right. of a supply, what, what version they're going to go for in like 51, 52. And then they finally, mm. they nailed down about three types and then the Marines call it, the M52, and then it sort of gets bought in. Um, but I like it because when we think you of like British jacket, troops and Commonwealth troops yeah, in them, do. don't you as well? Yeah, they all get issued them as well. And then I think because of Korea, people bring them forward and, and use them a lot more. Um, but I like it in terms of war movie tropes because when we think of Vietnam films, we think of Platoon, we think of Full Metal Jacket, they've all got M69 flak jackets on. And that becomes like a Vietnam movie trope. Yeah. Rec- instantly recognizable yeah it does yeah it's instantly recognizable it comes in like this thing you think right i've got to have my m1 helmet my m16 my flat jacket nam film go whereas in nam unless you were in like a city or something you don't really wear them because they're heavy they make you yeah. sweat they're not very good for it they found that out in korea as well so i like it this is actually where they came in that they, they were originated in the korean war they're a korean yeah. war invention they're made for it, yet they, they barely get seen in Korean war movies. But I really like the fact this one has it in. Yeah, I mean, on coming off of that, I think a lot of Korean war movies are always set in those early phases of the war, where they, they're either falling back from the Chinese or they're on the advance. Yeah, this feels like it's it's a very end of the the, the war end of the war thing movie, yeah. and you get this very instantly recognizable unique profile of the the soldiers in the film helmet covers m1 helmets yep. flat jacket um curved magazines in uh, carbines um it, it's it's different from what you see in a world war ii movie yes although a lot of the kit is the same weapons mm. are the same and it's different from what you see in as you said a vietnam war movie mm. so it, it's got this it's got its own sort of like unique visual identity of that period which i really like there's a good line in there when i think it's shibata and peck are talking um during one of the lulls and he says what's happening with all this push button warfare that i keep hearing about yeah and peck goes we're the push buttons yeah I, I i made a note of that line too i really like that that's the writer or someone there has gone hmm korean war seems like it's going to be the last of these types of wars let's say something about that. And I really like it. It really feels 50s. You know, that whole sort of atomic era feels like something you'd say, doesn't it? It's a really atomic good Atomic modernity line. and all that. Yeah, absolutely. But it's an infantryman's yeah. fight. It's an infantryman's, and it's an infantryman's movie. Yeah. It's a really good analogy. I love it. it. It sets it apart from another, like, you know, it sets it apart from Bedford incident where that's yeah. very nuclear-based. Yeah. Um, Ice Station Zebra. You know, those kind of movies that, that look at the nuclear aspects, um, strange love, um, failsafe, etc. This is a good. They're all around that early, early Cold War period. Yeah, and this is this is, it's a war movie, but it fits within this whole Cold War. This this talk about this more later, but there's a whole aspect. Think about it. Mm. Yeah, well, it fits in with within. um, We've got representation of Chinese forces, which is really interesting, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, Psyops, which they you know. This is the war that that yeah. really became prominent came with. In. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But in terms of Chinese kit, um, I think this film is the attention to detail is really quite impressive because you've got PPSHs, Papashas. Obviously, they they couldn't find a DP twenty eight, so they made their own, which is always nice. But then they also have RDG thirty three um, grenades. They do um, peak moments within that initial part of the battle where. Where the Chinese jump up on the um the sandbag parapet and start throwing grenades down. Um mm. and it's get some really nice little close-ups, and you can see that it's 
either they've made the grenades to look exactly like RDG-33s, or they are, in fact, RDG-33s, which made me wonder whether the uh, the US Army helped with some of that stuff, you know, providing comblock. Yeah, I always probably, I think that. Yeah, I mean, well, the Soviets... There's a lot of um, Mosin um, 98, sorry, 9130s. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what they're all carrying. Yeah, and the PPSH and the is in there as well. I think it must be, you know, they, they've got them from a other costumer or the US Army's like, oh, we've got loads of this Russian kit that we got at the end of the war. Like- Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Use that. I think perhaps so, because I... I can't imagine armorers or studio armorers having that kind of a lot kit of them. on hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I really like. That's the thing about this movie. Again, it's everything is looks right. Nothing stands out to be wrong. But we're not. I'm not even looking for it to be wrong. I'm just look it, in terms of it adding to the film. It adds so much. Oh, there's nice little things in there, like the super bazooka and and Greg, mm-hmm. and Greg, <laughs> and Peck. Um, Oh, Greg is. You can call him Greg. I don't think you can call him Greg. <laughs> He's being long dead. He won't know. Um, <laughs> um, he talks to a guy about keeping the site in so it doesn't get like dirty and things like that. It's, it's nice. It's nice little tidbits. Yeah. There's bits here and there. There's not too much over militarization oh. of the script. It's just enough. It's it's that um, aesthetic detail that gets placed into these scenes because, yeah. as you said, there, there's the. Peck tells one of the guys to keep keep the the, the super bazooka the um, um uh, to keep the uh, the site folded in so it's not open to the you know dirt yeah. and getting snapped off or damaged. But there's also other stuff where there's a moment where Peck is up on the hill and they're taking a break. He's waiting for a runner to come back to him, and he's you can see he's got a cleaning brush and he's cleaning the action of his it's M2 nice. without yeah. looking yeah. at. It. He's just cleaning. He's just yeah. And the guy behind him is is blowing dirt off the top of his rifle. It's cool, isn't it? There's nice um, little bits like that. And when Peck re- reloads his mags and he puts his empty mm. in his pocket, yeah. And I'm like, Joe's te- the real Joe's telling told him to do that because yeah, this whole trope exactly. in movies where you throw your mag away, it's bollocks. You don't do yeah. that half the time. You pick up. You've got to reload them up. <laughs> you know what happens? Exactly. If you the, I always think it's this trope. So at the end of every battle, we're meant to believe that people just have a magic resupply of magazines they're not they could they don't clap thin air you know it's a trope it's a very tropey thing to throw your magazine away um but there's other bits in there as well so there's um when uh rip torn's character is called back down the line he takes takes his and um, grenades out of his grenade pouch mm-hmm. gives every peck two of his carbine magazines yeah just nice little details because he could have just left, but that mm-hmm. that is that is nice. a little piece of clever filmmaking. Ways it's yeah. another um, visual cue to how yeah. dire the situation. Like you see there's the cool two little... magazines and three hand grenades because yeah. things are about to get worse because we're leaving. You know, there's that cool little I bit like where that, that attention yeah, to detail not, is really not, it's good. It's really good. And there's that bit where the corporals babysitting Franklin. And he mm. just just checks the top of his oh yes clip, yeah with his M1. He sees really if he's got nice. a round chambered. Yeah, he pulls the action back a tiny bit. Yeah, it's nice. I like that. I liked his character actually, the corporal. Yeah, it's good. 
it's a very strong alley tally this week. And I think that it's, it is. it's that thing, isn't it? I think because the director you have has done combat movies, a lot of them, you know, mm. he's used to this. So I, I know that it's going to be good. And then you get all the, inc- the inclusion of the real people who are involved, you know, yeah. a combat historian who was there or around the area when the battle was going on. So everything is this rich stew of tidbits and authenticity and everything's stirred mm. up lovely and it all works. Whereas last week, you, you know, you've just thrown a lot of shit at a wall and think, oh, I've got wind talkers now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that leads <laughs> us nicely into favourite scenes. It does. Hello, I'm Matt Bone, host of the new aviation podcast, The Damcasters. In this podcast, we'll be journeying through the history of flight, from when Pontius was a pilot to today and beyond. We're even going to be delving into the fine art of crafting wooden propellers and the uncertain future of aviation itself. The Damcasters is available now to listen to wherever you get your podcasts, or you can check us out at damcasterspod.com. We do hope you'll be able to join us. I've got I'm at a weird conundrum this week because I really love this film. I really enjoy it. I think it's really watchable. I could watch it again. It's it's really, really good. But I couldn't pick out a favourite scene mm. because it feels like it rolls along at such a steady pace. It doesn't really feel yeah. like there's any real scenes. But one thing I was going to talk about is I have massive admiration for this movie because Milestone, it, it, he just feels to me he knows what combat, he's got this vision of what combat should look like in his head, having done you know, ball quite on the Western front. And it's what he gets in camera. It's what he gets in his shots for me that mm. makes this movie. So yes. I never feel like something's just been put there. Everything feels like it's natural. Everything feels like it's how they made this ridge in California look like it's a battlefield. It just looks so authentic and, and, and gritty to me. You, know, you And when men get blown up, you see them mangled in sandbags and wood. And there's that sequence where a shell comes in and you hear the explosion. The men go and look at what's happened. And there's me yeah. thinking, right, they'll cut away now. They won't possibly show what this shell's done. And you get this smash cut to uh, a trench that's been caved in. And all the men there are just shocked and mangled yeah. in bits of wood. And some of them get up and some of them don't. And that for <laughs> me is one of the most striking bits of cinema in the whole movie, because it's like, oh, he went there. He didn't, you know, he didn't shy away from it. He's showing what war can do. And obviously everyone involved in the production is like, well, I was there. That probably happened multiple times. And yeah. it doesn't shy away from it. So I've got this massive admiration of doing it. And you always get the impression, you know, pecks two or three inches away from death at any one point in the movie. Yeah. No, no one ever feels safe. I think that's a really thing this movie does. Once the battle starts, you're never safe until the battle's over or you're leaving the ridge. Yeah. It's a really powerful. There's a, there's a moment at the towards the end of the film where he's counting the men into the bunker that they're going to sandbag up and hold on for as long as they can. Where yeah. he's the last man in the trench and he pulls a grenade, and you think mm-hmm. are the Chinese going to jump into the par- over the parapet into the yeah. trench with him? Yeah, um, and, and he just throws the grenade a pistol, and he's yeah, you know, I like he's injured that. And he's just leaning up against the thing and he's looking. It's mm-hmm. very you know you hit. I didn't think they were going to make it out of there because that's when well, that's a really great sequence as well. This whole being pinned in, flamethrower at you, you know, you're trying to sort the flames coming in. It's really powerful. Mm. I think for me, again, I also found it really hard to pick one scene out of it. There's a lot yeah. of scenes I really like. There's the scenes with uh, Shibata and Peck. I like all of those. They do all those really well. You mm. get you get that vibe that they're professional soldiers that are friends um, and the... The, it's very natural. Um, it is. It's very natural. That's why I was looking for the word there. And the way they bounce off one another, it feels very natural. So what I liked generally, because it's as I said, it's difficult to pick. I think the way that Milestone shoots this is very deep. So there's a lot mm. going on in the frame all of the yeah. time. So I, you mentioned this before we started recording. It's something I had in my notes as well. In the foreground, you'll have a, an M1919 Browning empty in a belt. Um, in the background, you'll have an explosion going off and another US soldier is either wounded or disappears. You'll have Gregory Peck in, in the you know the mid-ground giving orders to some men or trying to get Franklin to come out of a, you know, mm. a trench or something. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and it all just fits together very nicely and you the get layers. this it's layered so well mm. yeah you yeah. get this appreciation for the 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 scope of, mm. of the battle that's going on around you even though it's not a big wide panoramic shot like in wind talkers mm. where they do a, a big overhead tracking shot showing yeah, all yeah. the japanese positions it's none of you that don't, you, yeah. you don't get that and milestone doesn't need it because he's stacking everything so nicely mm-hmm. into these layers within just a it's standard old filmmaking it's, it's the old way of filmmaking isn't it, it it's all it the is. old tricks and you know i think it doesn't age either it doesn't no, feel it dated. Up quite that well. kind of yeah. um cinematography and the way that those scenes are composed feel very natural again it's mm. natural it feels um you can appreciate everything that's going on within them you can and i, and I yeah. like that and i said to you before we were recording as well that it doesn't really i don't have a favorite scene because it doesn't really dip and i know no. that you you you're going to mention in a moment tiny a, one. a point yeah. in the film where it does kind of dip and we'll talk about that because i i sort of agree but i think it's a very high level of mm of competency and 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 visual enjoyment and um it's a very easy rapture minutes it, you know you sat there like yeah. oh wow what's gonna happen next mm. because once that battle starts it's about moving so once that battle starts end. yeah it doesn't end it's no. the film is the battle so it's a mm. continual thing and you're always there going i can't i can't go and make a brew i can't put i can't you know i need to see what's going on I next can't pause it yeah, yeah. yeah. Is Greg gonna make it um, alive yeah exactly um and so also, that, that's one thing. We, one of the things sorry. I like about the film the most. Carry on. Mm. No, sorry. One thing we haven't mentioned. I think we should. One of the few movies in this era that doesn't sort of portray the enemy as some sort of bungling force to be mm. shot up um, and and yeah, or jump evil. over. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, out and out evil. Out and out evil. Yeah, you don't just throw a grenade and they jump over the sandbags and they're all dead. Or let's all go home. <laughs> they're treated with a respect that I don't think many of these movies give. In the 50s so yeah. they're menacing they're there at the top of the ridge they've got machine gun placements they've, all, they've got automatic weapons and rifles they are in there they're not going to move we're going to have to get them out yeah. and there's not much stereotyping going on no not much i actually don't think there is any stereotyping going on actually um for the i think, year, so. I think chink is used once once or twice but it doesn't yeah. feel gratuitous no well, no it's authentic as well yeah, they exactly used those kind of epithets and stuff you know, even down to the fact that when they're talking to Strode's character, when they're talking to the corporal, they're treating them like human beings because at this point of the war, it's integrated and they're treated with respect. They're given some really good scenes mm. and it, they're just not like, it, as opposed to Wind Talkers last week, where they don't really know how to treat their characters. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Yeah, I don't know how to treat the Navajo characters in any one given scene. This movie's just fine. It's like, well, Strode's character's a, a bit of a coward. He wants to go home because doesn't want to be killed in the last battle of the war. He knows yeah. that. And that's his character. There's nothing else going on that they never say, well, you're a coward. And he's not the only this. one, though. He no, is exactly. Incidentally, in this, so he's not a cowardly black character. No. There's a, there's a white character that is doing just mm. the same thing. He's mm. got his points. He wants to go home. Um, he's reluctant to be going up that hill. Yeah. As you say, I like the fact that the representation in this film is that they're just there. They're characters. Of course. You've yeah. got um, Japanese-American characters. You've got Latino characters. You've got yeah. African-American characters. And they're all just soldiers going up this hill. So mm. there's no, like, as you said, there's no special treatment. Or it's like, yeah. oh, and this is happening. But yeah, I'm sure, obviously, the interactions yeah. with those characters are great. But I think yeah. what helps also is that all of the actors portraying them are on point. They're they really are, good. yeah. There's no weak performances. Yeah, no one's letting the side down. But also, we, you know, must say as well, we're not. It's not lost on us that even though the army had desegregated, there was probably there was a lot of racism still in the American army at the time. Went on into the Vietnam War, probably still, you know, in some aspects, is probably still there. Um, mm-hmm. But this movie, getting back on track, this movie does what Go for Broke does, what films of the fifties do. I think there's a film with Sidney Poitier in it as well, it's Korean War. Um, based about him being a sergeant integrating into the the, the army at the time. Forget the name of it, um, but I do. It's on the tip of my tongue, and I'm not going to remember it now. Um, <laughs> it'll come in a minute. It'll come in a minute. Yeah, but there's a lot of movies made at the time about this, and for my money, they all deal with them damn well. And I don't. I think they deal with them in a way that we can't deal with now. In as well, 
because we I think we get too hung up on not even that you don't want to offend anybody I just think you're not in the era you're not looking at it with the hat or the brain of a person who is there at the time so mm. to look back at it now you might think well this is a bit twee they're not mentioning it. they're not doing anything about it no because it just happened you have to get on with it yeah. you're in a battle yeah. you know I don't particularly care what the color of the guy is who I'm fighting next to as long as he's got my back I've got his yeah in a exactly. combat situation yeah. that's what mm. it comes down to and you get that beautiful scene with Peck and Strode where Strode's obviously scared for his life. You know, mm. he, he thinks, you think, oh, is one of the ways he's going to get out of here is he's going to kill Peck and run. That's how you yeah. feel in that sequence. And Peck gives and him Strode the whole plays it to the point where you do believe he could do that. Mm. Yeah. It's, you know, I know he got his, he was critically acclaimed for Rutledge and um, the professionals, but this is, this is a performance and a half. I think he even says in his, in one of his memoirs or interviews, he says, this was the first genuine drama film that I did. Mm. And he, and it, you can see like, he's just so good in this. It, you know, sometimes when you watch Peck, Peck's out acting everyone, <laughs> you know, in the, in the room, but in this film, everyone's on a par. No one's bad in this movie. It's just such a good war film, such a great combat film that you don't really get anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, really, it's just a good film, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, ooh, it is a good film. Final thoughts territory there, but sure, it is. Sure. And I, another aspect of this that I really enjoy is, I, as I said, I like that it's just, they're just equal characters being represented on screen. Mm. And the characters, their race does not come into the nuance no, of no. what they're portraying. Another aspect of the film I really liked was the way that it deals with... Um, uh, interpersonal relationships and command so mm. peck is very much this is his first company commanding yes. operation so he's obviously been a, um, a, a lieutenant for a while but now he's commanding this company with several of the lieutenants underneath him he's been a platoon commander and he's there he's trying to decide when to bring up the third platoon his reserve and you can see the 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 mental uh, process that yes. he's going through yeah. and and uh, Shabata's character is is telling him to you know is it time Joe maybe we should bring up the reserve because we can't take yeah. this hill otherwise yeah um and that plays into how all the characters are fallible and you're sat there thinking is he making the right decision to to not bring up the reserve at this point mm-hmm. um a couple of other bits that stand out because we're still in favorite scenes although we've strayed a God. little bit as always yeah um it's one of the things when we you get a, when you, sorry when you get a movie that you do like coming off of last week where we talked about a movie that we didn't it's almost like yeah. you want to you want to cram everything in and be like well i didn't you know oh that quick <laughs> you don't want to miss anything out if you exactly. want to listen to a disservice by not mentioning something exactly um the scene i was going to mention was the the one where the the young runner tries to throw the grenade in. i mentioned it earlier briefly tries to throw a grenade into a machine gun uh, nest mm. um and it bounces off the mantle and explodes and it, it wounds his arm. Yeah. And I really like that because it's another one of those little details that's been included and it's shot well. It's not a scene that's super important. It's not going to win the battle. It's no. just something that's going on within the battle. Yeah. Yep. And he finishes off that, that he, he takes another grenade and he makes sure it goes into the actual machine mm-hmm. gun pit. Um, and then throughout the film, he, he's wounded obviously at this point and, and, um, he's been kind of dazed earlier in the battle, wandering around without a rifle, not knowing what, what's going on because he's probably mm-hmm. been um, concussed. And and Peck kind of it's that command element again. He takes him aside, tells him to get a rifle. You're my runner now. And then when he's wounded, um, Peck tells him to go down the down the hill, get medical treatment. But he hangs around, stays around because he and he's almost kind of disappointed when Peck tells him he doesn't need him as a runner anymore because he's wounded. That's it. Um, it's those interpersonal um, moments within the way that Milestone shoots this mm-hmm. hour-long battle. Well, it's more than an hour, but well, yeah, I know what you mean. Time. Yeah. yeah. Um, another one of those is when the stretcher bearer goes past with um, an NCO that's lost his foot, and he he mentions the flat jacket again because I think he might have been one of the the guy that said you'll learn to love it. That's um, it. As they're going up the hill, but he says. Um, he mentioned something about the flat jacket and the irony of losing a, a foot. Yeah. And then he said, and, and Peck's just there not knowing really what to say. And I like that mm. again, because 
he's it's not his the first perfect... combat, isn't it? It's his yeah, first it, action. It, yeah, it, it, he doesn't know what to say to the guy. Um, and the guy on the stretcher says, "Guys, can we move it along? <laughs> this is mm. I'm, this is really painful, or something like that." It's funny. Um, yeah. It's just there's a, there's a number of little uh, moments within the hour long, hour and a bit long battle sequence. It's almost like a series of vignettes in it, within a battle, isn't it? That, that it doesn't. Mm. There's no. Don't pit, there's no like scenes really. It doesn't feel that way, and uh, until you get little bits where Peck and Shibata are in a in a uh, like a, a dugout, or you know Strode and Peck are in a dugout, but they don't go on for yeah. so long that they actually feel like oh this no, is an actual scene. True. You're, you're you're moving the plot along here. It just feels like right. There's mm. a little lull in the battle. Guys having a quick chat about something. Oh no, but we're back to men running around in explosions. It's, yeah, it feels very. It rolls along at a beautiful pace. So maybe maybe because we are straying into final thoughts we should get into final thoughts hello i'm al murray and you're listening to fighting on film the world's number one war film podcast as i think we've already established i like the film i think it's a, i think it's not only a great war movie but i think it's a great movie um and i think milestone has has crafted it in a way that is timeless within combat yeah. movies yeah um I like the nuance and the detail. Um, I like the interesting represent- representation of Chinese psyops, where it's a little ham-fisted at times. A I little think. bit. Um, I think you'll mention more of that in a moment, but it kind of works to highlight that that went on. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't. I was going to mention it into the fact that I think they just show him a bit too much. Yes. Like it would have been nice just to hear his voice and see more reactions of them talking to him, of, the, of yeah. him talking to them, rather than having the scenes. Of, oh, look, he's in this comfy cave somewhere yeah you don't need to see the bunker he's in and, and no no i'd rather record and stuff once you establish who he is i'd much rather you know you have some like soldiery banter you know talking about him yeah you know, it's not like the theirs is the glory scene where they play the speaker and the guy takes him out with his last meals bomb it's not quite that <laughs> is it yeah yeah you know, um, on the scale of <laughs> speaker based war movie scenes <laughs> about three or four. Oh, that's a special right there <laughs> oh god um, no don't subject the listeners to any more niche specials. <laughs> um, as I mentioned there, I like all the, the small attention to detail nods of the weapon checks, the cleaning, um, and the inclusion of mistakes. Soldiers yeah. making mistakes, like the soldier being wounded, the, the spotlights being shone on the wrong hill, friendly fire coming in, those little um, mistakes that happen in warfare. Mm-hmm. I also like the fallibility of the characters. So Strode's fallible, Peck's fallible, although he is kind of playing that classic 40s... Um, 50s tough man sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, a little bit. Archetypal, almost. Yeah. Well, um, they cut more of him in, didn't they? There was that whole thing of his wife moaning at the pick, the the, edit, the sorry the studio being like, Peck comes into it way too late. You need to cut him in quicker. Mm-hmm. So some of the, yeah. the edit was changed, I think. 20 minutes was taken I, out, apparently. I think they cut some of the um, the negotiation scenes. Yeah. Thank um, God, the UN really. And Chinese. Yeah. They're not that interesting. Yeah, I, what they have in their works, and it's perfectly paced, and mm. it doesn't bog the movie down, because we know that kind of thing was going on. There's being aware it of conveys, it is enough. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It conveys the, this hill is a pawn in the negotiations, yeah. and that gets across, and it's enough. Um, and I really like the dialogue in this film. So we've already already mentioned Strong. the number of the lines. Um, Strode's got some fantastic lines where his scenes with Peck. Um, you mentioned the the one about the push button warfare, which was great. Um, there's a little scene between the corporal and, and Franklin Strode's character where um, the corporal's detailed to watch him, and he he says um, the black corporal um, says to him. I've got a special interest in everything you do. Yeah. And it's it that's a very interesting line. You could in, interpret it a number of ways. Any way you like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just I think he's actually a really good actor as well. And I think mm. all of the scenes that he's in, small supporting role, but I think he plays them really well. Um yeah. and I think it's just really great com- close combat sequences. I think Milestone knows how to shoot that sort of film. It's just like a good pure combat film that you don't yeah. often get really you know it, it's in the vein of still bayonets it's, it's in the vein of nine men yeah it's it's a pure combat movie 
but it's also got those men in war moments. Not the film, yes. but men no, in war I know in general. What you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not that... just a gun ho gun ho shoot Absolutely. everyone up type thing. And it actually has something balance to say. with that. Yeah, that's it. The really balance. Well. There is balance. My only mm. criticism, it's a very small one, is that I think towards the end, it probably just outstays its welcome by about 10 minutes. Because I feel like they get to a point where they don't quite know what to do with the guys on the hill anymore. Yes. Um, and yeah. and then it cuts to the sequence of them negotiating and the Chinese negotiators being very aloof with a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And the American guy comes out all upset. And he's like, oh, are we going to send another platoon in? Oh, I don't know. But then when that's gone, you're like, mm, okay, now I know the end of the movie's coming. And they don't quite know how to end it. It just sort of yeah. fizzles out a little bit. I think it 10 minutes too long, perhaps. That's my only big criticism. I don't know whether it's a runtime issue. It's more of like a climax issue where... <laughs> there is um, almost no climax, yeah. Yeah, where they, they all fall back and the bunker itself is attacked by um, Chinese flamethrower teams. And I think that looks great where the flames are licking through so and the sandbags yeah. being frantically thrown up. And it's a really brilliant sequence. You already mentioned uh, Shibata's character with his 1911 already. Yeah. Um, it's a, a real... Right at the entrance as well. So if they burst in, he's going to give them some rounds. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Like it. And it's, a, it's a, a tense, brilliantly shot moment. But then that's the climax of the battle. And obviously the cavalry arrive and sweep the Chinese back down the other side of the hill. But it doesn't quite live up to the combat sequences we've had earlier in the film. And because they're so strong, that climax, while it's good, feels a little bit... Um, undercooked, perhaps? Underdone? Just slightly I don't underdone. Know it's undercooked, but it just doesn't give that resolution that you're hoping for. No. I like the end bit of Gregory and Kai walking down the hill. Yes. Got fresh troops going up to reinforce. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, you get a nice outro dialogue by Peck saying, um, you know, millions can live in freedom because we fought on the hill, all that sort of yeah. thing. It's, it's nice yeah. ending. I just think you're right. There's something there and it's only very minor. It doesn't detract from the film as a whole. Um, it's everything Wind Talkers wasn't <laughs> really coming yeah. off. It's almost like the perfect film to come off of because it's got all this authenticity. It's got all this, everything else, and it's still got the good plot and you know, you're dealing with a racially diverse cast, cast, and you're not making a big, you're not making a, you're not doing anyone a disservice. And I think that's why this film works. I don't come out away feeling, well, they treated that character badly, they didn't, they didn't do that properly. No, no, it all just works. And it's a, yeah. probably yeah. to do with um, Marston that he's coming off of a career of doing this stuff as his bread and butter, and he knows how to do it. Whereas, to mention it last for last week, John Woo hadn't done a war film. Ever. No, it's very true. Going done in, action. And that's done action, very telling. Done a war film. And yeah. and I think Marston made a career off the back of doing war movies. It all comes together and it's all lovely. And in the back catalogue of Peck movies, I think it's maybe one of his people don't think of this one as much when they think of no, Peck. No, they don't. But it, it's up there. And it's up there. I think Definitely this is probably Milestone's second best war movie. Well, it has to be, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't seen all of the others, um, but I know some of them aren't yeah. as good as this one i know that much um and then it's hard to topple quite the western front once you've done well, that it is yeah so yeah. i can't I mean, wait Netflix for the are gonna have a good go aren't they <laughs> yeah i can't wait for the re- the uh the readaptation yeah, it's gonna be interesting i said sequel cut that bit i don't know why i said sequel it's not sequel. quite on the western front too <laughs> or quite on the western front harder <laughs> back to the trenches <laughs> Coming next summer. <laughs> it's the summer sequel everyone asked for. All Quiet on the Western Front 2. <laughs> Starring Christian Slater and Nicolas Cage. No. <laughs> oh, directed by John Woo. Directed by John Woo. I'm going to go fight for the German army, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we need, we need to conclude this episode now. <laughs> Somehow. So from um, Imagine Sequels of All Quiet on the Western Front to the outro this week. So thanks for listening, everyone. Again, if you didn't guess, we do enjoy Porkchop Hill. And thanks to the patrons for picking a great film. And as always, follow us on social media. You can get us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. I think we're on all of them now, aren't we, Matt? Yeah, just Snapchat we're not on, Rob. That's the only just one we're Snapchat, on there. yeah. Maybe yeah. we're OnlyFans, we're not on there. No, I don't think I've made that account yet. 
Only films will have to be on that one oh, if they ever films, make yeah. it. So okay. thanks for listening again, everybody. And you can find the entire back catalogue on fightingonfilm.com. Maybe you'll start from episode one and catch up to what, episode 95 or 96 96, now? I think. We're coming up on 100. Coming up on 100 films. What are we going to do for 100? That's a good question. A big one, I think. We'll have to, won't we? Ooh. I don't know what it will be, but it'll have to be a big film. What will it be? Who knows? Or we'll do the classic thing of teasing a big film and then we'll just do something really obscure. That's not like us at all. <laughs> no, exactly, yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you again next week when I think we have Bridget Romagan with Peter Cadagadams as our guest. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.